Welcome to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. I'm Herb Ham. On today's program, we continue our Giving Back to the Community and to the World series, focusing on the work the Calgary Zoo does overseas. The Zoo for Years has been Macmillan Estate Planning's charity of choice because the zoo is not only a treasure for the local community, but is involved in global outreach that saves animals and nature and helps change people's lives. With more on the story, here is our special guest, Dr. Axel Murenschlager, head of the Calgary Zoo's Conservation and Research Center. Well, the funding for the Calgary Zoo's Conservation and Research Program deals with two primary portfolios. The first deals with the reintroduction of endangered species, that's bringing species back that are gone from a certain place. The second one has to do with community conservation, which is dealing with people that are in need and finding ways of helping them so that they can help nature. The funding for the first portfolio is largely Canadian. It's Canadian federal or provincial governments, it's industry here, or it's non-government organizations. The second one deals with work that's primarily international, and that funding falls primarily to people, people that care, individuals that want to make a difference, or institutions that are so far-sighted that they want to make an impact somewhere else in the world globally. And uh, in that sense, then, the recent Macmillan Estate Planning fundraiser uh, would provide funds that would allow you to use that money for the global outreach. That's absolutely right. This funding is precious to me. Uh, It's among the most precious types of funding because it goes so far in other countries and it's funding that's so hard to get. But I've seen with my own eyes what it can do for people for ecosystems, and for species that we're trying to save. To set the backdrop, the context, um, what are your thoughts on this, really this major global challenge of finding this balance between saving animals and helping people? This challenge is so huge. Really, we're dealing with two of the greatest challenges of our generation. And those have to do with incredible biodiversity loss. We're losing about three species a day, at least, um, that have probably been here for hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years even. At the same time as our human population is growing incredibly. So in 1960, we had 3 billion people on this planet. Right now, we have 7.1 billion. By 2050, it'll be 9.3 billion. So how in a situation where our human population is tripling in 90 years and we're losing species at an incredible and accelerating rate, can we make harmony happen between people and nature? And how do you answer that question? I think traditionally what's happened is that one is trying to segregate nature from people. One has said certain areas are there for protection. These are untouchable. And other areas are there for people. These are there for development. That in future, I think, is not sustainable, particularly in poor countries. I come from uh, Oxford University where I did my PhD and our Wildlife Conservation Research Unit had projects all around the world on all continents. The perspective on conservation was very different for people coming from rich countries versus poor. The ones from rich countries said, you should conserve wildlife because it's the right thing to do. You should just legislate change and make things happen that way. People from poor countries said, 
Wildlife will only be sustainable if it can pay for itself. If there's an economic alternative, an economic reason or solution why areas should be preserved and species should be protected. And so then you are investing much time and effort really into developing this new model of conservation. Yeah, it's, uh, it does take a lot of time and effort because if you think about these fundamental challenges, for instance, world poverty and biodiversity loss, achieving success on either is incredibly difficult. What we're trying to do is what we define as success is only if we achieve both. So if only if we can help the needs of people and thereby also help nature, do we consider ourselves successful. So you can see how high we're raising the bar, how difficult that might be to achieve, and hence, you know, how much work goes into it. So that segues nicely to the hippo sanctuary, which then is a living example of the principles you're talking about. Absolutely. So the Wichau Community Hippo Sanctuary is in West Africa, in the northwestern region of Ghana. And there you have um, 10,000 people living in 17 villages along a river that divides that country, Ghana, from the neighboring one, Burkina Faso. In that river are some of the remaining hippos left in West Africa, the last real strong population that's left in the world. The people have incredible needs because um, in some cases they're starving even. Uh, in other cases, they simply don't have fresh water, enough food, enough resources really to sustain themselves. Um, so what they do traditionally is they will take from the land or they will convert the land for farming in a way that is good for them and they must, must do so really, but is potentially bad for nature. So in a situation like this where you have a high human density, you have a species that's in trouble, you also have people that have increasing needs, you know, the question is how can we possibly conserve nature? And the answer is by helping people. And at the outset, w when this project started, what was your approach in partnering with the people in that community? Yeah, and so this approach has been evolving in the Calgary Zoo for some time. Sir Isaac Newton said he stood on the shoulders of giants, and even at the zoo I do so. You know, uh, Brian Keating was fundamental in, in forming partnerships. Kevin Strange, his successor, continued those. And Donna Shepard, our woman in Africa, is living it every day. Um, the approach was that the local people were worried about the government in Ghana making a national park for hippos and that they as making a national park they thought they would be displaced they would be kicked out and so they said no we want to do something with Calgary Zoo and a Ghanaian NGL called NCRC to come up with solutions that the community can help save the hippos because they love the hippos too and at the same time they want to be able to live their life so then how did it unfold after that? So basically, how it unfolded was that a deal was struck. And that deal was that if the habitat along the river, which the hippos need to graze at night, and the river itself was protected, then the people would get huge benefits. And those benefits, as promised, were delivered over a span of 14 years now. Um, 
13 villages receive fresh water that previously didn't have fresh water. That's not just an inconvenience, that's a danger because the water is infested with parasites and diseases. Um, over 500 solar units were installed for electricity and medical facilities were brought in and three schools were built all through the involvement of Calgary Zoo and its partners. That is such a good news story in itself, but what is the sustainability probability? So the sustainability is fantastic, both on the natural side now and on the human side. To the natural side, the hippo population has stayed strong. Now, this is incredible when you consider this in a, in a country where species of all kinds are killed and eaten. And you've got a multi-ton animal that's floating by in the river in an area where people are hungry. Why doesn't it get eaten? Um, and the, the reason for that, I just need to talk about for a second, is because the conservation value is entrenched in a traditional value. The people there, the leading tribe especially, have a very close affinity to the animal. They believe that in the time of the slave trade, and let's remember that West Africa was the primary resource for slaves populating the Americas, that the hippos rose out of the water and carried the local people to safety across the river. So the hippos are sacred. So there is this very strong traditional belief, but nevertheless this fundamental challenge also of resources and hunger. Nevertheless, the hippos, through this deal that was struck, are doing well. And the population has, in fact, been increasing in recent years. Because we're not just about saving one species, but about preserving ecosystems, we asked the question, does this help more than hippos? And what we did is we sampled birds inside this sanctuary versus outside in the rainy season and the dry season for three consecutive years and demonstrated scientifically that the abundance of birds is far higher in a place where you're conserving hippos than where it's not. So for hippos, it's good. For birds, it's good. Um, the people have a, a species that they treasure. But most fundamentally, the people have gotten huge resources, not just the infrastructure that I talked about, but also forms of employment and a government status that this area has actually been designated as sort of a provincial capital equivalent which has now brought a paved road to the community, power lines and electricity to a place that never had it before. Dr. Morenschlager will be back after this short break with another inspiring example of how the zoo's global outreach is helping people. This is The Strong Room. <laughs> 